It is hump day, aka May 30th, aka tonight's the full flower moon. Just a little factoid for you guys. Uh, You are listening to My Work in Progress. I'm Heidi Vega, and today I am talking about another ethical dilemma. This ethical dilemma includes things from Morgan Freeman to the Me Too movement. Uh, Also talk about family, um, parenthood. Uh, I got the opportunity to talk to Hugo Torres. Uh, It was a wonderful conversation. I really appreciated it. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy this one. So keep listening. Hi, how's it going? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Fantastic. I just sent you a message a second ago, and I think we're recording. Um, Yeah. You came by way with me. We, I, there was a hashtag, I think, called Me Too. And I, I think that's how we were originally expected to connect. But there was some issue with the technical stuff. Uh, but if you're open to it, I'd love to, to chat. Yes, of course. Thank you for um, <laughs> deciding to chat with me. Uh, how long have you been on Anchor? Oh, I'm going to say that it's been about three weeks or so. Oh, okay. And, you're, and yourself? Um, I want to say a week and a half. So fairly new. Okay, fantastic. Now, I had the opportunity to really quickly go through your uh, through your description, and I and sometimes a lot of people don't take the time to really write out what it is that they are trying to accomplish or what the overall message of the podcast is going to be. But I, I I enjoyed reading what you had to say. So I guess in, from the standpoint of introductions, maybe you can expand on that a little bit and tell me a, a, a bit about you, where you're coming from, your podcast a little bit, and then maybe we can start talking about the topic that we first started to connect with. Sounds great. Okay, so my podcast is called My Work in Progress. Um, it originally started as a blog that I wanted to write, and I found myself having a very hard time um, sitting down and taking the time to really write something out. I like to express myself um, in different ways. Writing is one of them, but I'm so self-critical, if that makes sense. I'm such a perfectionist that a lot of the times I won't publish my work because I'll be like, no, it's not perfect yet. But with podcasting, it's just like, there's kind of no going back on it, you know? (laughs) And um, yeah, so my work in progress is basically just the concept is that we're all, you know, we're all trying to achieve something at some, at every point of our lives. We're always, I hope that all of us have goals that we're trying to achieve, trying to be better people in general. And that that shouldn't be something that we are ashamed of. A lot of the time we feel bad that we aren't, you know, where we want to be yet. Not understanding that once we are there, once we're at a place where we have achieved that goal, we're just going to have a new goal that we're going to be chasing after. So to unapologetically be a work in progress, just be okay with being in the process and really own it. You know, it's interesting that you say that. It's one of the themes that I keep on coming back on on my own uh, talks is this concept of the the journey and in the fact that we, especially here in the U.S., or at least I'm in the U.S., that uh, we tend to be so goal oriented in that there's so you know there's means to ends and those are the two things that matter. But the fact that through 
the course of life, we experience life. And like you said, we hear, we, you know, we have these summits uh, that we give ourselves, which I think they're warranted. You do have to have goals, but life doesn't end once you've searched for them. And I've actually had conversations with a lot of people that there's a lot of bittersweetness when you hit a goal that you've been striving for for a long time, because it's sad to know that you've done it. Mm -hmm. And it was there was a really interesting talk that I heard at a convention once uh, from a woman that uh, she went up to, to the top of Mount Everest and that she she gave so much richness to everything that happened and how she got there of it and the people that she lost along the way and that she when she got to the summit that as wonderful as that feeling was there was also that feeling of oh no now I've done it yeah now what what now exactly. And and I think that's where I feel that I am much more open, or at least in the last few months, I've become more open to the being okay in the now. And mm -hmm. without, without putting you on the spot, but I'll ask you the question because I noticed that one of the titles to your to one of your uh, shows was Millennial Mommy. Mm -hmm. And so does that, does that mean that you are a relatively new mom, or it's just you were were you expect because I haven't heard it, but were you expanding on on, on motherhood? Um, yeah, well, I was specifically talking about potty training, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm relatively new. Uh, my daughter is only two years old and millennial mom, mainly because we have the tendency in this generation almost to be like being a mom is an old thing when uh, as history has shown, you know, moms have usually been rather young. You know, my mom was 21 when she had her first kid. Her mom was even younger than that. You know, moms usually start pretty young. And um, and this generation, it feels weird to call somebody a mom who's relatively young. For some reason, we see that uh, we see women waiting longer and longer to be moms in their 30s, you know. And so I don't I felt like millennial mom was a good title because I am a millennial, but I'm also a mother. And sometimes we feel, I, I feel that the culture kind of um, makes it seem that you can't be both or that being a millennial all of a sudden means that you're an older mom, a mom that doesn't have kids until they're much older. I don't know. This is the weird thing being a mom right now at this age. Well, I, I could certainly say just because of the party parts that there's a lot that I cannot relate to, right. um, but... <laughs> I, I, I am 40 years old. I am a full-time dad. As a matter of fact, in about an hour or so, I have pickups and I have to go drop the kids off at choir and I, another kid that has to go to uh, the library. And then after we're done with that, we're going to have volleyball if it stops raining here in Southern California. And I'm the guy that's at PTA, uh, on the PTA board, uh, dealing with the minutia of, uh, of funding uh, mm -hmm. our, our schools and our progress. Um, and I'm the one that's right now dealing with a small, a slight ear uh, infection that my kid has. And the reason why I say all of that is because I do think that we are at an age where a lot of um, the stereotype, a lot of the stereotypes are being challenged. Oh, yeah. In the, in, in the fact that, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. My wife and I waited until we were in our 30s. To, to have children. We, uh, we spend the majority of our 20s just getting to know one another and, and, and just enjoying a life. And to a certain degree, we actually thought, and I've talked about this on my own show, but we've talked about that we were never going to have kids. And then things changed uh, in 
our priorities in life changed and she went through a period where she felt that this was important and we had to have a lot of dialogue to get ourselves to the point where we did want to have children and, and, and we were going to undertake that journey. But because of economy and because of, you know, the way that our, our relationship has always been, she's the one that's uh, now in a more corporate setting and I'm the one that's at home so, and taking care of the house and being the person that runs this this household. Right. Uh, and for a lot of the moms that I deal with, which I deal with primarily 99% of moms, um, it's always odd because I'm the odd guy out. And, <laughs> and, 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 that's, and that's perfectly fine. But I, I get into these conversations with a lot of uh, women that have become very good friends of mine. And the joke sometimes has been is that I'm one of the girls. And and, and that's perfectly fine. There's absolutely no issues with that. But just like you said, you have the way that you have seen motherhood and the way that you feel that you're challenging and that you do want to discuss it and you want to bring your own stories to light. And I think that's part of what it is that I, I, I bring, I'm trying to bring to the table with, with, with my show. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it is very, very important to have all perspectives being voiced out. And I, I appreciate you for taking the time to do that. Cause I know it's not easy doing, doing the whole kids thing all the time. And then on top of that, you know, trying to shed some light on the situation. You know, and, and you're and you're also I, I am a few years ahead of you, both in actual age, I'm sure, because like I said, I'm 40. But also my kids are a little bit older. I have I have a you know kid at the very end of elementary school and I have a kid right in the middle in middle school. And so I'm dealing with the challenges of a preteen and I'm dealing with challenges oh, yeah. of. Uh, uh, and so even even in that, there's a lot of flux because I, I remember what was going through with when my wife was to stay at home and my kids were two years old and a lot of the challenges to her own self-worth. And I don't want to speak for her, but I, I know that I've talked to her enough to know that she really felt challenged by the concept of being a full-time mom and Probably. what that, and what that meant being at home. And especially with her having a business background. And when we first met her career was really doing well and, and then all of a sudden changing gears from being responsible to about an, an entire department of a company to now being responsible for, for a little kid that always wants you and mm-hmm. doesn't want to let you go. Exactly. Now, again, you and I connected because of one of the, one of the ideas they throw out there as a possible podcast ideas was Me Too. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and uh, you, I tagged on it because I obviously have my own feelings about it, but you uh, chose it because you must have your own so would you mind sharing with me um what is it that you wanted to discuss uh, with that well i uh, my recent interest in it i mean i've been interested in it from the beginning and how it unfolded and how everything has led up to now but my interest was piqued once again when I saw some headlines, a CNN report about uh, Morgan Freeman. And as yes. I watched the report, I felt there was, I felt something in the pit of my stomach, like didn't feel right about what, how it was being presented. And I saw the footage that they showed of the interviews and how he acted. And I couldn't help but think I was, I was expecting something more from the way that these women were talking about it. Something, you know, like he drugged somebody and tried to rape them, something very violent, sexual assault. But it was, it was, 
it was basically him hitting on reporters and not in a overreaching kind of way but just kind of like the only thing that made me cringe was because he's old you know he's an, right. 80, he's an 80 year old man but at the same time I was like um he's 80 years old he people who are that age really stop having a filter and for good reason you know you've lived a long life and you stop caring what everybody else thinks and then on top of that you know he's been a celebrity for so long and I just I found it really weird that they were making this out to be something more than what it really seemed to be and I think that kind of made me feel that the Me Too movement, although it has its positives in shedding a light on a lot of the sexual harassment that's happening that's very, very serious, I think it's also has the tendency to produce stories and sensationalism around sexual harassment that isn't necessarily... Uh, isn't necessarily a topic of conversation between everybody. I think it's a topic of conversation between the people involved. Like if someone was to hit on me, for example, and say something that I felt uncomfortable with, it wouldn't be a conversation where I feel like I have to report it to the police or go, you know, tell everybody about it, but more so kind of a conversation that I have with that person and say, Hey, you're making me uncomfortable. Can you stop? Or, you know, just not be around that person anymore or like situations like that. And I feel like they make it, I, I just, I, I don't like where that's, it's becoming just a little too like everyday, just little things like someone hitting on you, but not in a overly reaching type of way, but just letting yeah. things be known, you know? I, I, I'm trying to, and I, I see what you're saying. I, obviously, I come at it from the standpoint of being a man, and I, I for a long time prior to, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm also a full-time real estate agent. That's what I do for a living here in Southern California. And I have been in the real estate industry for a very long time. And um, I have been to conferences. I've been to conventions. I have been to a lot of meetings uh, with people from all walks of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of the, the way my career has unfolded, I've worked with a lot of older, pe- older people, mm-hmm. uh, or at least let's say people from the 50s and the 60s who have a different reference to how things are, how, how we're trying to communicate nowadays in modern age, mm-hmm. right? And I'm a Generation Xer, but I mean, I think I can understand the millennial point of view a, a heck of a lot more. And I'm also going to be rainy, race, I'm racing the, the next generation. So with that being said, um, I obviously see it from a different point of view. Uh, and oftentimes I can't help it. It's part of my DNA that I tend to side, uh, or at least I, I, I try to see the, the male point of view or what's happening. But and so to kind of go to your point and, and, and you tell me what, how you feel about this, but a lot of times with these stories, and I don't know the specifics about Morgan Freeman, probably because I haven't wanted to know because it's, he's an actor that I really, really like. And mm-hmm. one of the challenges of this, of everything that has been happening, that there's been actors that I really care for. And, I, and they're some of my heroes when it's come to acting and, and they're going by the wayside. And, and Kevin Spacey is a perfect example of that. 
I've loved pretty much everything that Kevin has done, and now he's out of uh, he's out of the limelight. I thought Matt Lauer was a good guy. He's out. Louis C.K. He's a comedy hero of mine. He's not working anymore. Um, and now you have somebody like Morgan Freeman. So oh, and and Bill Cosby, which it, to me, I'm sorry, he's he, he's he's a terrible person. He has done some terrible some terrible things, and has and he's been convicted of some terrible things. So. But he was somebody that I looked up when I in the 80s as, as a, almost a father figure, as, as silly as it sounds. And so to again, back to your point is the fact that I do think that there is this rush by news outlets, by media outlets to sensationalize any story that comes out, mm-hmm. that the moment that that if, if it, it could create a headline people are quick to put it out there. Uh, the Aziz Ansari story was like that, in my opinion, where let's rush to get something out because we don't want to get scooped in to the detriment of the career of people or to the uh, reputation of a person. Mm-hmm. Now, that, does, that, that doesn't mean that, they, they, you know, that, that we should not vet these stories. Most certainly. Um, I think that it's important to, these, to bring these the legitimate stories to life. But everything cannot be a me too moment right uh and it's but it's got it's 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 a very fine line that you walk because i keep always keep on thinking well what if it was my wife or what if it was my daughter or on the opposite what if it was my son who was being accused or how about if i was being accused because i will tell you that as somebody who's been around for a while i have always i haven't always been perfect Mm-hmm. I was a stupid 20-year-old. Um, some would say that I was just an even dumber 30-year-old. And I'm making mistakes in my 40s. And my type of humor and my type of personality is that I like to be open and honest with people. But sometimes you just cannot help but offend. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that somebody then needs to go on Twitter and say that Hugo's the most terrible person in the cost, folks? No, I, but, because you're talking about my reputation. And I think one of the biggest challenges that we have is the fact that we have these megaphones when it comes to the online systems that we have, where somebody can say this happened, it's not vetted, somebody then takes it and runs with it, and all of a sudden, you have, you have somebody's reputation tarnished, and we haven't really done our due diligence, and that is the part where I have a problem with. And then you're right, you, then you see a video and you might think, well, everything's been blown out of proportion, and that's not what I'm seeing on the screen. Mm-hmm. And th- does that make sense, or, or or does that talk to what it is that you're feeling? Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you on basically everything that you just said. I my where I have difficulty with the Me Too movement as a movement overall is that I think it loses so much of its value so much of its message when it becomes something that, um, for example, that gets, like you said, sensationalized. So then anything's a Me Too movement. And so it loses its real power, you know, when, when it's everything. Oh, everything is that kind of situation. Oh, if, you, if I get hit on and I don't like it, it's that kind of situation. And I think that's very n- not fair. It, it, it not only hurts the people that it's, you know, going against their reputation but it also hurts the movement itself it also hurts the women who have been victims of 
being drugged and raped um and and just molested any any of those things and men too men who have been raped or molested it really takes away from that message when something as simple as a being hit on becomes a uh something of news something worthy of saying oh this person shouldn't be allowed to be on tv you know like there's things that i understand why you know that person now is not uh, welcomed in the hollywood circle you know nobody wants to work with them because of what they did in the past i get it when it's when it's so horrendous i understand but what the whole morgan freeman thing it really just kind of it that set me over the top because i just felt that they the not only was it blown out of proportion but on top of that it was obvious that the code of ethics as far as journalism goes was not followed because the woman who had originally started looking in to different uh, uh to other women who have reported maybe the same thing of being uncomfortable with him and stuff like that was doing it because she had an interview where she felt that she was approached that way and then she took that and made it into a story and you can't have the primary writer of a story be so biased it'd be fine if it was an editorial if it was a if it was a what's the word a you know column of some of some type that was exposed as okay this is gonna be coming from somebody who experienced this and this and this but this is a writer who who was presented as if she's coming from an unbiased place but of course if you feel this way like you're gonna you're gonna find what you're looking for if you look hard enough you know she found what she was looking for she found women to say hey I was uncomfortable with him when he was on the set blah blah blah, because he complimented my dress you know you're you're gonna find that if you're looking for it that hard that tough and I think that's what happened and I think the fact that nobody checked the the source nobody checked the the ethics that this journalist had is very appalling and as somebody who majored in math communication in college I was like how can these big companies like CNN just keep perpetuating these stories just because they're hoping for you know more viewership and they're trying to compete with social media and everything else that's going on you know it just it creates a very ugly culture where really important topics are just sensationalized and they lose their value. No, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And that's where, again, whenever an allegation is made, at least for myself, I really try to give myself some pause right. to, to let things flesh themselves out before I start adding to the collective outrage. Exactly. Uh, and, and, and I found it to be a good thing for me. It's interesting I just listened to, uh, and I would recommend it. It's uh, the name of the show uh, or the podcast. It's called This American Life. Uh, I've been listening to it for a very long time. And they had a story yesterday about a woman. Her name is LaDonia. Uh, She um, worked for uh, an airport in New York. And she tells her stories of actual harassment and her fighting through it. And and the reason why I bring that up is because of, of the comment that you made that it diminishes the movement. And, and, I, and I believe, because here's, for instance, one story, if you were to hear it, where you have somebody who has fought and is fighting uh, a system that, has, that, that, that is oppressive and harassing, 
And she tells it, I don't want to give anything away just in case you hear it, but she, she does talk about the end of, of the power dynamic that she still is having issues with. Mm-hmm. And th- there are these stories of real grief. And then you juxtapose those with a story, like you said, of, well, he complimented it. He complimented me and I didn't like it. And that's a thing now. Mm-hmm. They're not equal things, but the person that wants to sell you or wants you to click on their link, they will make it sound. And that's the power of writing. They can make it sound and they can make anything sound like it's the world's worst thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say this. And again, I, I, I've really taken a look at my past behavior over the course of the, of the many, many years. And it, it does make you as a man think, oh, fuck. I'm sorry. It makes you think, <laughs> what have I done in, right. you know, in years past? And could anything be construed? And I'm not a public person. But I do like the fact that it's made me look inward, but I don't want to diminish the good story. So let me, I wanted to ask you something, though, really quickly, because, uh, again, not knowing, not knowing your age, but just going by the millennial tag, do you feel that the, the men that are, in your, that are in your generation, that they are, and I know this is an anecdotal, but I'll ask it anyways, do you feel that they are? responsive to what's going on are they learning to what's going on or are they going the other way and saying oh it's just a bunch of bs i think in my the people that i'm actually physically surrounded by um i think they're responsive to it i think that they feel a sense of okay wow like look at all that's going on and it kind of just I I feel like, especially in the beginning with the Harvey Weinstein situation, it really gave, put them on notice almost to say, hey, look, these are real struggles. And that's why you'll see women get very upset over maybe even something that doesn't seem like uh, obviously violent towards women, but it perpetuates that culture. Like if you see um like with the porn industry perpetuating this violent culture this violent sex you know with women and kind of this domination this possessive nature and it and it does show through you know it's not just uh something that doesn't then eventually affect someone's mind and you see that you know men growing up they're, they don't think that they're affected by these images that, that they keep seeing, but they, they are affected, whether they want to believe it or not. So in my inner circle, yeah, I, I'd like to say that it's a positive. Um, as far as the, the bigger stories, I think now when I'm seeing like the smaller stories, the smaller Me Too's that are like trying to make their way to big news, um, I think it does, I feel like it loses a lot of its it causes them to feel a little like, okay, now aren't we going a little too far, which I agree. But I would say that from what I see online is a different story. I, I've seen a lot of men almost in my age bracket seem to push back and not, not, in a like oh because you know this is bs and this is not not because they're differentiating it but because they just generalize the entire movement and then the entire gender 
as going overboard as oh you guys are this or you're that you know kind of generalizing the whole and I don't know if that's very good I think when we go too far I think you're gonna get a push back you know so when you go too far with this me too movement where you sensationalize something that's not that serious you're gonna get a push back from the other side who already kind of try to not validate the real the real situations the real uh the real hurt that a lot of women have felt and then it kind of discredits the whole thing and then they feel more validated in their uh feeling like they can ignore all of anything that comes out of the me too movement yeah no it does now with um a, a couple of things for the first one i thought is also the concept of how women react to the me too movement because i although there seems to be a lot of progressive folks out there online that are all gung-ho over it. I think that there is also a group of, of women that um, also are pushing back right. in, yeah. in having issues. And uh, I would have to say that, you know, your opinion, although in my estimate is measured, many, uh, especially on the more left-handed side of things, would say, well, you are a traitor to the cause because you don't believe that everything that's out there is, is worthy of outrage. You Mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure, I'm sure that both sides are going to have kind of this very, if it's all kind of an all or nothing mindset when it comes to any kind of movement as we've seen so far. Um, And, you know, I, I can only say that I'm coming from a very genuine place. There's no part of me that's um, necessarily trying to, I I don't want to cover my eyes because, okay, like, for example, with the whole Morgan Freeman thing, you were saying how, you know, with celebrities, there's celebrities that you really like. And so you don't even want to listen to it because you're like, no, this is somebody that I admire. I respect their craft and all of that. And when I saw the Morgan Freeman thing, I had to check myself briefly when I was feeling like this is very weird reporting and I don't like it. I had to check myself and say, okay, where's this coming from? Am I believing this because, you know, I like Morgan Freeman as an actor and I don't want to hear, you know, that he's doing, uh, that he's being in any way making other people uncomfortable, whatever it is. Or is it because the basis of the story is really what's bothering me? And I think in this day and age, we really have to do that every time, like you said, we take in information. We have to be very critical of our own initial perceptions of the situation and see where exactly that that is coming from. Do you see this impacting how you parent? Yeah, definitely. It impacts how I parent, not in a very direct way, but... As far as, because I think every parent has like a, oh, I'm going to teach my child this, I'm going to do this. And, you know, you want to do perfect, you know, (laughs) you want to do right by them a hundred percent. But it also kind of makes me feel that a lot of uh, parenting or what's going on, how we go about parenting is, is, how would you say? is our the way we behave you know it's a lot of not just what we're saying to our children but 
a lot of the examples that the example that we're giving them. I agree. Uh, whether it's at home or out out in 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 society, and I think that's a big big part of it. And I think that's also, I think uh, parenting is <laughs> one of those one of those things that I feel like it can never not be something that can be improved. I mean, I think we can always do better by our kids, but I think if we're coming from a, a very honest, genuine, loving place, I think we tend to do right by them because in the end, it's not all on the parents. You know, <laughs> the world will affect your kids in ways that you cannot help, that you cannot stop. And that's the the scary thing about being a parent. And I think that's kind of what it's opened my eyes to as far as the Me Too movement. You know, I think my parents were very protective of me that I would never be in situations. And sometimes that caused an actual over heightened for me to be like super. uh, What's the word? I was scared of like a lot of people like I was just scared and it wasn't because they did anything to scare me. I was just like a scared child that thought I was so very fragile and um, that affected the way I went into just my adulthood and it's not until I grew up that I realized you know what they were trying to do what it actually did and how I can now correct the ship you know and I think (laughs) we have to trust our children to do that for themselves regardless of how we end up parenting. No, I understand. I mean, I, I will say that uh, one of the things that this experience has taught me and, and the, the experiences that I keep having is that kids soak up so much information and not all and it's not all of it uh, is verbal. It's mm-hmm. like you said, it's not what you're telling them. It's what they see you doing. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they're great mimics. Um, and, and, as, and as you go through life and you see your, your kiddo, if they watch TV, you'll see that they pick up whatever they happen to be on the television. And if the little girl on the screen or the blonde girl on the screen is doing whatever, I, I, you will see that your kid is doing whatever because that's kind of how our minds work. And that's where, you know, this is another, it's, it's in, in topic from the standpoint of also the culture that they're involved with or the cultural background that they're mm-hmm. a big part of it. I think it shapes things because I know, for instance, that, um, I am of Mexican descent. I was born in Mexico. I became a naturalized citizen a couple of years ago. But mm-hmm. for instance, sexual harassment, it's not something that my mom would ever like say is a thing. Mm-hmm. She, she lived during, during different times. And although okay. there were plenty of jerks that she worked with, uh, she wouldn't identify it as sexual harassment or she wouldn't call it me too. She would say, that's just what happens and you deal with it or you, you know, you just let it pass. And it's mm-hmm. not a thing that you cause a, ru- you don't, you don't, um, you don't make waves over it. Mm-hmm. And it's something where I don't, that's not what I'm going to be teaching my kids. Right. right. And you have to speak for yourself. You mm-hmm. have to say, no, you have to know who your resources are and who to talk mm-hmm. to. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges. Well, that's one of the challenges of our times is that that we're also shedding these old school or old fashioned or uh, cultural um, stories that we have and realizing that, no, this is not okay, And we have now ways to talk about it 
and mm-hmm. whether and, and whether it's here or it's on Twitter, I, I think we, getting back to the point of it, it has to be responsible, right? And it, and it has to be vetted. And and I don't know that we're we're doing as an audience a good job doing that. And I don't, I certainly don't think that about some people in the media are are doing a good job about that. Mm-hmm. Exactly, I completely agree, and I honestly do think that. Uh, I think this, the Me Too movement would be served better if there were more discussions, not pointing the finger and saying, okay, this person did that. Um, as far as things that are like uh, how I referenced the Morgan Freeman situation, I think it's more important to say, listen, when you're feeling uncomfortable, regardless of the celebrity culture, there needs to be, uh, we need to be teaching and understanding that although we are agreeable by nature, women tend to be more agreeable than men. Uh, we can't always, you know, if something bothers you so very much, you have to learn to speak because a lot of the, like, for example, I'm sure Morgan Freeman did not believe that this was ever going to be a story because he felt, you know, most celebrities, I think, will feel that they're, they're uh, trying to be flirtatious is wanted, you know, that it's that, oh, they like when I flirt with them, you know, they like when I am uh, like trying to kind of spit game at them, let's say. Um, And so when you don't say anything, you are not making it known. And then if it happens again, then you know, this person is consciously trying to make you uncomfortable. And I think that's really important. I feel like women feel like, oh, we'll, we'll just sit back and not say anything. And then later on, I'll make a story about it instead of saying, you know, from cut it at the root, let that person know, hey, when you say this it makes me uncomfortable. And you very well could save a woman in the future from feeling uncomfortable or you could save him from from putting him and himself in that position by allowing people to hear your truth. You have to speak your truth so that the world becomes more understanding of each other if you if you keep your truth concealed and then say it out loud on speakerphone on social media in in the aftermath you really don't do yourself and that other person a service you don't do the world a very good um you you do them a disservice by doing that because you're not being genuine you're being honest i I agree with that the the only thing that i would add or or maybe at least in my head you know uh, amend is this this concept of that there are stories plenty of stories where women have tried to say something to oh yes to upper management and and they have not been heard or they've been put away so sometimes you might feel that the only way that you can do it is through if you have if you have the internet then then use it and so it's also from the standpoint of the society and and that's where it gets really really tricky where you're saying speak your truth but then not you but we're saying speak your truth to you know to people out there and then when somebody might it depends on who the audience is you know if yeah uh, it depends who the person is because i will say that you know my I'll introduce this component into it, uh, and I don't think it's controversial. I think it's just part of what it is that we deal with. Um, my wife and I—it's a—it's a roundabout way. But my my wife and I were driving, uh, and I'm Hispanic. I've gotten pulled over so many times I can't tell you, mm-hmm. uh, and I've gotten a lot of tickets. My mm-hmm. wife on the opposite side is a green-eyed German blonde. And has rolled through stoplight lights uh, because it's late and because we were driving somewhere and she just wasn't paying attention. And to this day, she, the, the woman has never gotten a ticket. 
there is a component where some people we're we're willing to believe some based on a lot of conceptions and we're not willing to believe others and from that standpoint sometimes it's it does feel like well if nobody will hear me here i'll just shout it to the world and that's where that it's a really tricky fine line that we're playing um so i don't know (laughs) there's there's no i i I completely understand my my husband is african-american i'm mexican um, and even then, I have been, you know, we've been pulled over together and, you know, they'll look at me and I don't, I'm, I'm from, my parents are from Sinaloa, so I'm pretty fair skinned, you know, I'm not like, they don't assume, a lot of the time people won't assume that I'm Mexican, they'll think I'm something else, but mainly white, you know, or American, right. Caucasian, you know, so they'll be like, oh, okay. Um, you know, you can go. And then when he's alone, he gets into like the most craziest situations where they'll are, they'll take him to jail for walking through a park, you know, something so crazy. You just don't expect people to go through. But you say, OK, where where are we seeing this? Why is this happening? <laughs> Not to me. doesn't happen to me in the same situation, but can happen to him. And you wonder, OK. Does gender play a role and does does race play a role, you know, or perception of, of what your race may be play a role? And um, so, yeah, I, I completely understand uh, where you're coming from with that. And I do think when you're not being heard and it's really and that person has not changed their behavior, there's definitely a need to to make it more publicly known what's going on that, because it, it helps give other people a voice. Um, to to let out your truth to the world but i think when it's a personal situation and that that person has not been confronted and has not and doesn't know of their wrongdoing you have not put them on notice you kind of jump the the jump the gate you know you kind of go uh you do yourself a disservice because you haven't established okay well this person is doing it with the the worst of intentions for me is trying to make me uncomfortable trying to uh, do something bad to me instead of saying, oh, well, that person was just hitting on me and I didn't let them know that they made me uncomfortable. So then I just blasted it out to the world to make this person look like uh, a bad person, a, a person that was had bad intentions. No, I, I, I hear you. I, it's, like I said, it's, it's, it's very interesting uh, from the standpoint of the interactions that we have with one another uh, in how things can be misconstrued uh, between between people. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say that, and it's one of the things that I struggle with. uh, I I posted about this on Twitter just a few minutes ago, the fact that I try to smile to strangers just because I have have this feeling that, uh, first and foremost, I'm a smiling kind of guy. And second Mm -hmm. of all, if I can make you smile and if you smile back at me, it it, it just feeds me and it makes me your day better too right, right. um but this whole concept uh, of you know people thinking well you have an agenda oh yeah and mm-hmm. and, and and they're 100 right that my agenda is i just want to <laughs> smile at people it's right. not because I, I i'm trying to game it in any way or i'm trying to gain something we're talking about strangers and, and we've lost a lot of the trust that we have between one another because we don't we don't talk we don't have these long form 45 minute hour conversations about something that there, there's some heavy stuff in here 
And, and I'm sure that we could talk you know, a, a heck of a lot more, and I hope we do. But we as a society do not allow ourselves to have these national conversations about a specific topics, and we try to do, convey things in little snippets where a lot of things get lost in translation. Mm-hmm. And until we figure out a way to have actual debates that are not personal and I don't know that we, I don't know how we're going to get through this. And the, the quick jump to conclusions from both, well, from all sides oh, yeah. to, to blame and to, and to try to get the upper hand on the other. I don't think it's helpful. So all I can say is this, that from, from my point of view, a, I welcome the conversations. I'm okay talking to strangers and B I'm trying to put out as much positivity to the world as I can and trying to be open with people. And that may not always be given in return, but at least I, I can sleep a little, I can sleep easier knowing that I'm trying to put out good lives. And I, I've always appreciated anybody who, like you said earlier, they're going through life as a work in process, progress, and they may not have all the answers and they might make mistakes, but they're willing to have conversations about them. And I think that's powerful. Yes. Yes. Well, I, I appreciate, I honestly appreciate this conversation. I appreciate you for taking the time to have this kind of conversation. It's not easy. A lot of people, um, we, we all have the tendency to, like you said, jump to conclusions. And then on top of that, we feel very vulnerable giving our opinions in this day and age, um, our genuine thoughts on situations. And I think that that's a shame because I, the more we have these kind of conversations, I think the more we come to uh, an equal ground where we can say, you know, we don't have any ill intent towards each other. And this is just all our, we're all coming from different walks of life, you know, so we're all just trying to make sense of all of it together. And um, so thank you so much for coming on. What's the name of your podcast? It's Hugo's Posts. And basically it's, I write all the time. And and I would love to talk about your writing one day, but uh, I write all the time and there's a lot of stuff that goes into my writing. And I feel like sometimes I need to expand further on it. So that's where Hugo's Posts came from. Um, Heidi, where can people find you online? Uh, you can, I have Instagram and Snapchat, um, Snapchat, it's H Vega three, six, nine. And then my, uh, Instagram is it's me, Heidi V. Um, and you know, you can find my podcast on Apple and overcast. Um, and if you want to send me any comments or questions, my email is Heidi underscore three, six, nine, one at hotmail.com. Uh, I appreciate being on your podcast and I'm, I'm going to publish this on mine. So um, I, uh, is there a certain way you want people to uh, connect with you? For sure. I mean, you can find me on Instagram. If you want to look at chickens running around my backyard, it's uh, <laughs> Hugo Torres. It's very simple. My first and last name. And on Twitter, I'm at Hugo's posts. Uh, that's ba- the majority of the ways that I communicate with people. Uh, and yeah, like you, ask me questions, have a conversations, even the tough ones, as long as we're being uh, mindful of one another and as long as we're being critical in a positive way, uh, I'm all open to it. So with that, Heidi, uh, I really appreciate it. And, and, and if you're open to do it, again, I, I would love to. Of course, of course. Okay, peace out. Bye. 
Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed having that conversation. Um, don't forget to follow Hugo on Instagram, look at some chickens, or just follow his podcast. Um, don't forget to review my podcast, subscribe to my podcast, go give me some five stars. No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to give me five. Just give me as many as you think I should have. Five stars. No, I'm just playing with you guys. I'm going to stop joking around. Um, But above all else, don't forget to be unapologetically a work in progress.